0: Hey, hey, what do you say? Woo! I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't fucking know, dude. Uh, Yep, coming in before the show starts. You know me. You know me. Uh, getting out in front of things today to say. A little unexpected, but this is actually going to be the last episode of My Favorite Podcast for a little bit. Uh, I'm going to go on a bit of an extended, indefinite hiatus. Now, you might be asking yourself, what the fuck are you talking about? And that is a great question. 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 <laughs> I uh, got a gig. It's going to last me for a little bit of time. And so I am going to put this show... Uh, on the shelf for a second and come back to it at some point when I come back to it maybe things will be a little different I don't know I'm thinking about it possibly maybe it won't be maybe it'll be the same fucking shit (laughs) and you'll eat it and you'll continue to eat that shit up Um, at minimum I'm gonna be taking the hiatus through the end of January of 2022 possibly longer Still not 100% sure on that, but at minimum for the next two and a half months from when this is coming out, or I guess two months at that point, because this will be the end of November when this is coming out. So through January 2022 is when, at minimum, the hiatus will be for, possibly longer, just depending on how things go. Um, I love doing this show. I love podcasting. I want to continue to make it a part of my career in some way, whether it's the show doing something else, I'm not sure. Like I said, when this show comes back, maybe it'll be a little different. Maybe it'll be the same same slop <laughs> that you love eating so much every week. I don't know yet, but could be a thing. I want to thank you for listening to the show every week, if you do. I want to thank you for listening to the show sometimes, if you listen to the show sometimes. Hell, I want to thank you if this is your first goddamn episode of the show. Thank you for listening. Um, All I really want is to have my art interact with people and as many different people as I can. And that's really it. So when you listen to the show, when you like the stuff on Instagram and Twitter, when you send me messages saying, (laughs) (laughs) excuse me, when you send me messages saying, oh my God, yes, bro, or comment that, you know, Truly, truly means the world to me. People interacting with your art is the best. That's why I do it, ultimately. Uh, One of the big reasons I do it. That's why I want to thank you guys. Um, I'm sorry uh, if that's disappointing to you that this show is going to be on an extended, indefinite hiatus. But at some point, it will come back. Or I will come back at some point. Like I said, I'm gonna think during the hiatus, I'm gonna think about maybe any changes that might be able to be done to the show, or maybe not. But either way, you got 71 episodes to go back and listen to. I'll still be doing it's on the list. Uh, if you're not aware, May, uh, I am going to leave that show uh, at the beginning of 2022 as well. So maybe that will coincide with this show coming back. Who knows? Thank you again. Have a great rest of your day and enjoy this episode. Three, two, one, go. That was crazy. Did you hit your mic on that?
1: Yeah. It's in a precarious uh, local, uh, placement on my desk. My, yeah, my desk between... is a mess.
0: <laughs> so your mic is between your legs, bro? <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm pulling a Nick Weiger right now. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Oh, you know what it means. All right, here we go. Welcome to my favorite podcast with Noah Marger.
0: Don't you remember you told me you love me, baby? You said you'd be coming back this way again, baby. Baby, 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 baby. Oh, baby. I love you. I really do. That was, of course, you guys know Sonic Youth. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. God fucking damn it. God fucking damn it, dude. You're right. That was Sonic Youth. That was Superstar by Sonic Youth. Nope, it was The Carpenters. Get fucked. I'm done. <laughs> I'm I'm done. That's it. Fuck it. That was Superstar by The Carpenters. Truly one of the most beautiful songs ever. It is so sad that she died. <laughs> Can't believe I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. That's so stupid. That reminds
1: me of Vince Scallo's quote on uh Johnny Ramon's grave in the uh Hollywood Forever Cemetery, which is please come back.
0: <laughs> He's so stupid, dude. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> he is so talk about vulgar auteurs but not in the normal way. Yeah. That's
1: Vincent Gallo. The, 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 I think he's the most vulgar as an actual individual. <laughs> like, he is. And I yeah. guess he's a little more tender in the execution. That said, the brown bunny exists. So I don't know. Well, that's that's for another yeah. time though.
0: That's hell. You want to do that instead? Okay, yeah. Let's let's talk about Vincent Gallo. <laughs> okay, cool. I've never seen the Brown Bunny. So I, cannot. I haven't been
1: either, which is like a bizarre um missing link in my Uh, Fandom of his, I guess. I I mean, we just both love Buffalo Sixty Six so much. You can only assume that we at least kinda like the Brown Bunny, and maybe someday we'll track down a MP4 of that movie that was released in one festival and then he pulled because he said he wants to keep it away from the bad mojo of critics.
0: Yeah, at one forty-four P, we can watch Chloe Sevigny absolutely (laughs) give him real head. But you know what, dude? I just watched Gummo. At Braindead Studios. It's the first time I've seen that movie in seven or eight years. I watched it in high school. She is so fucking awesome, mm-hmm. Chloe Sevigny. Huge. And she's yeah. so good in that movie. She's just tearing it up. That movie, I have so much more respect for that movie now than I did when I was 17 or whatever, or 16 when I watched Hell it. Hell yeah. That's growth. That's growth. Liking Gummo. That's growth. And saying that you wish Karen Carpenter wasn't dead (laughs) is also, that's growth. As opposed to wishing she was dead when you were 16 or 17 instead. Because that's where I was at. Now I'm like, fuck, that sucks that she died. Who cares? Welcome to my favorite podcast. (laughs) This is the podcast about people's favorite things. I'm the damn host of this show, whether you like it or not. Definitely not. Noah Marger. (laughs) Thanks for being here. A little cloudy today in Los Angeles, California. I like that though. This Makes my a fire walks warning. a little less crazy. Wait, really?
1: I just uh, as soon as I entered my apartment. Yeah. Jackie pointed out on her phone that she got a uh, a weather advisory saying there's a fire warning in Los Angeles right
0: now. Fire warning near me. Is there? Los a- we're doing this we're doing this right fucking now. Uh knockdown structure fire. Oh. 7:56 p.m. It doesn't say the date on this. <laughs> what the what the hell?
1: I don't know, man.
0: It says it's in Silmar, but I don't even think that happened recently. Well, maybe you guys have a fire warning. Maybe I'm fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and good good luck to you listeners out there.
0: Yeah. Good luck. If you're listening, this is the last thing you hear before you fucking immolate, Is that what it is? Enemolate?
1: Immolate, I think is
0: Immolate. Yeah. Yeah, immolate. Is this the last thing you hear before you immolate? Thank God. Good riddance (laughs) to you all. Uh, No, but this is it. Last episode for a little bit. Uh, Like you heard in the beginning, taking some time off from this show. Uh, But we have a really good one to close it out with. You've heard his voice already. So I don't feel like I need to, I don't think I need to beat around the bush here. I feel like I'm just going to introduce this this fucker. This fucker, here we go. Introducing him. I forgot to read you the intro (laughs) as well. But you it's told it's the me you'd be
1: doing it when we met last night, so I just I assumed it'll, it'll be fine.
0: It's you're gonna hate this. Um, All right. You're gonna hate what I wrote just now. Okay. Uh, my guest today is a comedian, filmmaker, and co-creator of the Everything Now show on Twitch. Please welcome back to the show. Rocky pajarito you hate that you hate that intro I
1: didn't hate that that was very th- thank you very much so professional and very sweet
0: <laughs> you're very very welcome yeah I thought you maybe you'd hate that because of how professional and how how concise it was maybe because you like it when it's crazy
1: I like when things are messy and feel like mistakes and like captured improv you know what I mean
0: yeah well life is improv that's what I say
1: you do say that um I wish you wouldn't but you do say that.
0: Say it all the time. Say it when I'm at the grocery store. Say it when I'm getting my uh, colon looked at, colonoscopy. Say it when I'm getting my mail. Can you show
1: show me your tattoo that says it?
0: Sure. For the listeners out there, that's my nipple. That's my nipple.
1: (laughs) Can you screenshot that so that
0: I don't have to? Uh, I'm
1: on a a PC, so it's going to take me 35 minutes to screenshot (laughs) this.
0: That's fine. We have that time to do that.
1: Snipping tool. New. Move this window.
0: Oh, oh! Take that. We got Get it. That. You got it. Perfect.
1: Save, save as. Save as. MFP Noah's nipple. Perfect. Dot PNG.
0: Rocky. Hello. You and I have been hanging out a lot these last couple days. Yeah. Um. So I know the answer to this question. The listeners don't. What's on your mind? What's up?
1: Oh, man, not much. Um, I I feel like I kind of go into uh, peaks and valleys of my love of movies and I kind of pick up other interests again, like video games or making music or stuff like that. I think it kind of happens around this time of the year. I'm in full swing in movie mode, just kind of like getting really excited about just watching a bunch of stuff that i think i'm gonna like and i know are good or even just you know just watching anything honestly I, i'm pretty much game to watch anything i'll make the mess i'll make, I'll make the best out of it just because i i like learning uh and uh yeah. i'm okay i'm a little scared now
0: <laughs> i, <just laughs> got my, I like, found myself got a little end. scared
1: yeah okay uh but no what, uh, that's pretty much it on my mind i got a lot of pta on the mind um, okay, yeah, you know, it, it's PTA season, It's it's been roughly four years. That seems to be the standard, uh, kind of rate in between PTA seasons. He's like a leap year with his releases, so yeah, that's true. It's, it's in the air, and uh, I'm having a ball.
0: PTA is in the air, Updog's in the air. What's Updog? Uh, these nuts, oh, okay, yep, is in the air, so that's cool. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> I think I do. I, sh- All right. <laughs> All right. I, I lobbed so it I did, to you. <laughs> you. You did lob it to me, and I absolutely completely rejected it. In every single possible instance, I'm like, he wants me to do it. He wants me to spike that fucking volleyball across the net. And you know what? D's nuts. Saw Con and, uh, and Ligma. what's the other? Bofa. Ligma, Bofa. Bofa D's. I used to go up to people, I thought, I thought, I thought of Bofa-D's in college. You thought of Bofa? <laughs> I thought I invented Bofa wow. in college. So I would go up to people and I would be like, have you, um, next semester I'm taking a class with Professor Bofa. <laughs> do, have you had Bofa before? And they would be like, I don't think so. What do they teach? And I would be like, Bofa-D's nuts. <laughs> and they would get... They would have zero reaction. <laughs> just so neutral, so just like like a very like plain hatred yeah. for what just happened. They'd be like, "That sucks." You
1: can't give anybody <laughs> too much gas for that one. It's you gotta let it slide off your back, or congratulate it like with praise because <laughs> getting getting a good bofa in, I think is 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 worth celebrating. I think everyone should like we all win when a good bofa gets taken.
0: I think you should take the rest of the day off and go to Red Robin
1: yeah exactly yeah it, it, it's the same it's the same feeling of like teachers 15 minutes late guess there's no class
0: <laughs> yeah i guess Noah got a bofa in I Guess you can go because like, you can go do bottomless fries and red robin for the rest of the day if he wants <laughs> kind of the same idea yeah the fries and red robin can't be that good they are that good
1: actually oh okay <laughs>
0: the- they actually are that good. <laughs> They're actually the best food I've ever yeah, had. In my I entire hesitated fucking life. saying
1: it because I just like knew it'd open up a can of worms, and we could well, let's go talk down. about Red Robin. Okay,
0: <laughs> let's, let's talk have, about Red Robin. Well, last time I was
1: there, I was like 13 years old, so I have no perspective. Yeah,
0: well, you're a Southern California cuck, so you're I'm probably going to an island island guy. Instead.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: stupid. Yeah. It's stupid to me, but I know that Red Robin is a Pacific Northwest fave because all my friends. Who I know who are from the Pacific Northwest are like, oh, yeah, Red Robin was the joint. That was the spot. So That's what's up. It's a regional thing. Don't really think of the Pacific Northwest as having a strong regional identity, to be honest with you, but liking Red Robin, I guess, is, I'll take it.
1: You know? Liking Red Robin and watching Twin Peaks on the Seattle Space Needle?
0: Well, those are the two things, yeah, that we're known for. So hanging out with be my best friend, Kelly Reichert. I don't know. Yeah, you have no idea what you're fucking talking about. You're ignorant. Um, you're, ing- you're ignorant. Um, But Rocky, there's a very good reason why you have PTA on the brain today. And it's because we're talking about him and what I would consider to be his best movie. But before we talk about that, can I ask you Noe's question?
1: Absolutely. Please do.
0: Okay. It's Noe's Noe's question. question. Rocky? Mm -hmm. You like pudding?
1: Yeah, I like pudding.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: Do I like putting these nuts in your mouth?
0: <laughs> I am having an out of body oh. experience right now. I'm actually, with that one. <laughs> uh, that that
1: shivers way out of my, my physical, corporeal body. <laughs> and oh I felt God. weightless for a second.
0: You, yeah, you transcended yeah. for about. Point five seconds just there. That is amazing.
1: Uh, I thought you were setting me up for it, so I wanted to get it first. But
0: <laughs> I wasn't in theory, but in a, in actuality, I was. For, so there you go, fucking slam dunk, dude. Yes, bro. Ooh, okay. Um, yeah, I love pudding. <laughs> yeah, putting these nuts in my mouth. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Fuck. Um. <laughs> I don't think I like pudding as much as Barry Egan might like pudding. But pudding is, to me, it's not dessert anymore. When I was a kid, that's like dessert. It's like, oh, I'm having pudding. Moose is dessert now. That's like adult pudding. Yeah. But if I'm going to have pudding, maybe that's a snack. I'm not going to be like, that was awesome dessert at 24 years old.
1: As far as snacks go, I think it's higher tier. But as far as desserts go, I think it's on the lower rung. I kind of feel like I'm getting like you know shorted when, if I'm having pudding for dessert. But if I'm like going throughout the day, someone surprises me with a snack and there's a chocolate pudding cup in there, I'm pretty happy. I think that's like, that's totally. like a decent a decent get. Um, Absolutely. And that's
0: I, you know if you're in elementary school and it's it's not ants on a log or something, you get that fucking chocolate oh, yeah. pudding cup. It's like oh yeah. Today's going to rock. Today's going to be fucking sick.
1: I love a mud cup also, which is kind of like crushed up Oreos, um, oh, pudding, yeah. and uh, a, like a couple of gummy worms. I think it's a really yes. solid, uh, like <laughs> unhealthy version of a, like a, one of those cups that have yogurt and granola and fruit in them.
0: Oh, or like, like, like a parfaits.
1: parfaits. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like a, a kindergarten kid's version of a parfait. And it's like not healthy in the slightest, but it's like perfect texture wise.
0: Um, that to me goes into the realm of dessert though. I think you crossed the Rubicon on that one and it's like, okay, Mud Cup, that's a dessert. Pudding, high tier snack, low tier dessert, one single <laughs> gummy worm snack.
1: Yes. Yeah. It is a transcendence of pudding into uh into the dessert realm. Uh still pretty low because it is kind of a casual uh, you know, dessert. But uh you wouldn't be getting it at like a, a restaurant. I, I feel like the the extreme evolution of chocolate pudding is like a chocolate souffle or something like that. Sure. Or even like a lava cake, which I know they're all part of the same family and I love them. But uh, uh, yeah, chocolate pudding itself, it's it's meager, but it's got its place.
0: Uh, much like possibly the character of the film that we are going to be discussing ad nauseum today. Yes. Um. Some may say, but <clears throat> I don't know if I would. Some may say. Oh, okay. I would probably actually. Okay. I probably actually would. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Um, I think... Not I think. I know. When I was a little kid, my dad sometimes used to take me downtown Portland to go visit my grandfather mm-hmm. at lunch if you know I was a little kid or whatever. It was like, we're going to go see Pa today for lunch. Aww. And we would go to Jake's Grill, which is a famous restaurant in the downtown Portland area. Very cool. And if we were going to see Pa, that meant I might get to have a little tiny dessert after lunch, because it was kind of a special treat to go yeah. see him, you know, you don't get to see him every single day, and so we would go to Jake's Grill. I would get <laughs> probably like a small steak and just fucking <laughs> drowns that thing in ketchup, probably to be honest <laughs> with you, or fucking chicken fingers or some bullshit. Um, but I knew that I was going to get to have moose chocolate moose at the end. Yeah, they have really good chocolate moose at this place, and they still tell me my grandparents still tell me. You used to love chocolate mousse. You used to love that shit. They say, they say you used to love wow. that shit. And I'd be like, well, I if I probably had it in front of me, I'd probably still like it, bro, is probably what I would say to them.
1: It's funny when our elders latch on to things that happened maybe once or twice in our life, but definitively did happen because they remembered it and stuck to it. And it's, it's like, it is, I've, I've lived like, so yeah. much life since I've seen you last grandma and you still tap this over me, but it, it's also, uh, you know, uh, a, a symbol that they care <laughs> at all. Exactly. Yeah.
0: They care. They love you. They're annoying, <laughs> but, but, but they do yeah. love you. They, two things can be true at the same time on yes, that one. I agree with that. You know what pudding I would rather have though than chocolate pudding if I'm being, if I'm getting my pick of the litter so to speak. Go ahead,
1: yeah.
0: Okay. I was gonna.
1: I'm just very curious on what your answer is gonna be. There's a lot of avenues you can go with this, so yeah.
0: Rocky, Uh what do you think my answer is gonna be? Oh jeez. Butterscotch. That is a great answer. Okay. That is not the answer I had in mind though. But I do like butterscotch pudding quite a bit Same. and probably if i'm choosing butterscotch or chocolate pudding and those are my only two options i'll probably take butterscotch because it is a little bit more of a exotic flavor yes, you know I agree with that but more so than butterscotch you got the first letter correct uh, give me some of that goddamn banana pudding bro wild
1: wow good for give you give me that Oh, take give me it that. i'm good Have, enjoy it noah you'd like this more than i would
0: give me that <laughs> <laughs> like the teacher from i think you should leave season two give me that well that was Noe's question um that was a pretty great question if i do ask myself great i, I hated it that myself. that's cool it doesn't matter to me um we're closing out November. this is week four this is the last episode of November. thanks for listening if you've been listening to yeah, all of November. Sure no I'm talking to everybody. <laughs> I, when I say things like that on the show, I'm talking to everyone.
1: Yeah, okay, good job.
0: So you might be asking yourself, why did you pick Punch Drunk Love, the movie, to talk about? You might be asking yourself. Rocky might even be asking himself that. I don't care. But I'll tell you guys, why did I pick this movie? Could have picked anything for November. Why did I pick this? This is, all things considered, my go-to answer when someone says, what is your favorite film? It is this. I'm with, and I have no problem saying that this is my favorite film. There's a million movies out there, a million movies that I love. But usually, this is what I will say. Almost always, when someone says, what is your favorite film? And it's been that way for a number of years, probably since I entered college. Um, So that's, what, 500 years ago because I'm so damn old. Right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) 500 years about?
1: Yeah, you're you're pretty ancient, dude.
0: I'm pretty old. I'm a millennial Gen Z cusp. I'm fucking, they're already fucking talking about me in history class, baby. (laughs) That's how goddamn old I am. Fucking cracking open their books and being like, In 1997, we had these weird mutant creatures (laughs) called Millennial Gen Z Cusps, and they're fucking freaks. They suck. They suck shit. They're bad shitty. But I knew I was going to want to talk about this movie at some point on this show, whether it was a November thing or whether it was a guest was going to end up bringing this one on. So I had to get Rocky in here because if there's one thing I know about Rocky, and there is only one thing I know about him, uh, it's that this is probably also his favorite movie. All things considered. Is that fair?
1: Yeah. Yeah. This was kind of in the same regard as you. I would probably say this is my favorite movie since like senior year of high school and onward. And it's still pretty up there. Uh, This movie retains its magic somehow, I'd say. Yep. Uh, No matter how many times I'd watch it to try and figure out what the fuck makes it tick and what makes it good and what makes it weird. Uh, I will kind of always bend bend around and just kind of be like, yeah, that is kind of a perfect movie and pretty much a perfect movie and one of my absolute favorites for sure. Um, and it, it's kind of like, you know, like when you say like when you have a favorite movie to say in response to that question, it's usually as like a friendship litmus test or whatever, you know, like to sure. see kind of like uh, how how much you can relate on like a pop culture level at least. Um, and I've always just kind of felt confident with this one because I just genuinely love it. Never really, as far as this, like, I want to seem cool or I want to seem whatever, like this one really just, just latched itself to my heart when I first it yeah. a couple of times and kind of stayed there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The, the, that's interesting point about the pop culture litmus test thing. Cause you're right. Usually it is like, a, you're meeting someone for the first time. Mm-hmm. You're getting to know someone. Hey, what's your favorite movie? And they say drive, and, the, and and they say drive over and over again until they blow up, until their head pops off their body clean, it's drive, cleanly. Drive, it's
1: drive. Stri- it's drive, it's drive, it's drive,
0: it's drive, it's drive, it's actually drive, I'm actually wearing the jacket right now and have a gun, <laughs> um, and we're in a car, so I love this movie actually, because I have a gun, I'm wearing the jacket, and we're in a car, and we're about to make out. Um, asking someone what their favorite movie is and then immediately making out with them or fucking them is a crazy idea. That is so stupid. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what's your favorite movie? Moneyball. Oh, fuck yeah, bro. Oh, clothes <laughs> flying off. So I fucked Let's him. Let's get after it. So this is a thing. I fucked him. So this <laughs> is his thing. <laughs> this is his dick. Kind of funny. Kind of cool. Um... That's interesting, though, point about it being like a friendship litmus test or like just like a way to relate to other people. Because you're right. Usually that question is like a introduction type thing. You know, you don't really know someone as well. Usually when you ask that question, in theory. It's an icebreaker. And yeah, this is is an icebreaker. And so saying this, there is a, you know there is a huge segment of people out there who probably just don't even know what the fuck this is. Or if they've heard the name before. Know nothing about it No, nothing maybe other than Adam Sandler's in it It is you
1: know? still Like you know It's kind of gained and you know It's uh, fans and the cult Absolutely. around it Over the years but it is still Kind of buried underneath Other PTA movies and it's canon like, uh, you know, obviously Magnolia and Blood United are always going to be fucking stewards of like his talent and popularity. There will be Blood, the biggest Oscar winner in his cat, you know, his whole fucking thing. Yeah. And The Master, uh, fucking Phantom Threat, pretty much got like an avalanche of lovers as soon as it was released. Reasonably yeah. so. It's a, it's a good movie. Not my favorite, but it's good. But Punch Drunk Love always was for a long time this kind of like... I guess people just kind of didn't know how, like, really what to think of it. I, I mean, like, the contingent at the time, especially, Roger Ebert said, Adam Sandler's fucking good in this. It was like. absolutely, And everyone kind of, like, most people at least caught that. That was the case. But it was very a very strange release for him in his canon. And he also didn't really make a lot of movies like this after the fact except for every
0: or pta
1: sandler and even pta kind of took him until the master which you know takes times between his movies to you know make them um but even when the master came out i think people were like that's when people were also like is what is pta doing now <laughs> like he's no <laughs> he's no longer like i mean it's mean of me to say this about boogie nights magnolia and there'll be blood but they're a little more straightforward in terms of their you know like like their, accessibility their accessibility and like the um the bombasticness with which they are cinematic you know um sure. roller coasters or adventures or emotional you know journeys and whatnot meanwhile with punch drunk love the master inherent vice to a certain degree and maybe even his new one they're a little more poetic and elliptical in terms of the way they tell their story and their plot points get a little chaotic and dreamy, and like they kind of run on dream logic as opposed to anything literal that you can latch yourself onto.
0: That's and- an interesting divide that you make, at least, because I have always seen the divide more so as eight boogie nights, magnolia, punch drunk love, there will be blood being the tipping point, the fulcrum. Definitely. And then 2010s PTA and now 2020s PTA. Shifting more in that direction where it is more just like vibes, Mm -hmm. you know, to be reductive about it, but also not reductive at the same time, you know, like mastered onward to me is like, oh, we've got, get on the vibes train, all aboard the vibes train. You're going to see some amazing acting, some amazing camera work, some crazy shit happen on screen. And you either are with me or you're not. You're either with me or against me kind of thing. It is kind of like two different filmmakers. Yeah. It is. It is. And may, I don't know what happened in the personal life or just in the career or anything, but that to me is where the divide happens. Totally. Is and that's... Much, there will be blood.
1: Yeah, that's much more literal. And you can, you can even see it through Punch Drunk Love and There Will Be Blood, him kind of recalibrating and kind of realizing Absolutely. what matters most to him in film. Because I think making Magnolia, um, and I'm glad that he made it as lo- as Loaded, as loud, as emotional, and as heavy as he did. But I think that's where he kind of left it all in the field and then kind of had to pick himself back up and realize, like, you know... Absolutely. ...do a full-on reset in terms of how he viewed storytelling and filmmaking. And you, as you can see through *Punch Drunk Love and There'll Be Blood, him slowly becoming the filmmaker that he is in 2010, which is much more soulful and less literal, you know?
0: And it's interesting, if you want to think about it, if you want to put yourself in PTA's shoes which I'm going to do quickly and then quickly jump out of them because those are the biggest shoes in the entire world, if you ask me. And my feet are small. They're bigger <laughs> than Shaq shoes. They're like the size
1: and of tires. And that's how I
0: be- – <laughs> Aaron Carter talking, doing a song called That's How I Beat PTA <laughs> instead of That's <laughs> How I Beat Shaq. <laughs> and that's – I put boom, boom. I put it in the hoop like an heron Vice <laughs> slam. I heard the crowd screaming like Phantom Thread. That's how I beat PTA. Never won an Oscar, though. PTA. Not yet. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, pretty wild. Yeah.
0: That's stupid,
1: it's pretty. you ask it's me. It's pretty dumb, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean... But so are the Oscars at a, at, a, at a certain level. That is one caveat to be reminded of, for sure. But also, even when he's, like, kind of flirted with, you know, uh, prestige and everything, he seems to still just be a little too weird for a lot of uh, mainstream audiences, especially now, you know. But, I mean, his movies are lauded to a certain degree. They just aren't really going to be... I don't know, the dude, like, works with, like, Annapurna and, like, you know, kind of smaller. uh, Focus. Totally, yeah, exactly, right? Like, he is always going to be kind of an art house filmmaker, um, no matter what. I think that's just kind of in his DNA at this point. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, he, uh, I think he might have stopped trying to... uh, like I, I, his ego has calmed down significantly since Magnolia, I guess is the general thesis of what I'm trying to say, and I think it's cool because it's bred a lot of interesting results, even if they are confounding sometimes.
0: Well, it's interesting. I think going circling back to what I was actually originally going to say about putting myself in his shoes is he does heartache. eight. Hard mm-hmm. heart eight's pretty good, yeah. all things considered. He doesn't have full he control over. Have, it. No, he doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't have that same. Uh je ne sais quoi if I may say sure je ne sais quoi on my own podcast. Yeah. Can I do that, bro? Um I'm gonna make some calls real quick and see if that's all Yeah. And right. call Chris Chalaki and let him know I just said that and he'll come to my house with a fucking bow bow hunter rifle or whatever it is. He's on his way. That's cool. He's not being let in. Um he can be come on his way all he wants, but he's not being let in. Okay. That's the kisses for him, if he listens to this. Um, you're not being let into my house, Chris, um, first and foremost. And lastly, but think about this this way. Okay. He does Heart 8, mm-hmm. doesn't have full control, he gets to do Boogie Nights somehow. <laughs> Inexplicably. <laughs> somehow. Yeah. Huge fucking successful film. My dad's seen Boogie Nights, you know, ev- <laughs> you know. People in the mainstream are like, oh, this is the next guy, you yeah. know. Unbelievable success with that movie. I think, between besides the Boogie Nights and There'll Be Blood, I think those are the only two movies of PTAs that have ever recouped their production budgets. That makes
1: sense. And also, probably had the most lasting cultural impact. I guess maybe uh, with Phantom Thread kind of hopping in there. I don't know how financially successful that one was, but I mean, like that one won an Oscar. So, like, There'll Be Blood did. So, I mean, I feel like at least has its cachet back with the the public, even if it didn't make its money necessarily.
0: But then he has... Then it's like, what do you do after Boogie Nights? Sure. You know, you kind of have... Like, I can't imagine how much... How much of everything was going on for Mm -hmm. him after that fact, especially with the fact that his father, you know, I think had passed away and everything. Like, you almost have to do something like Magnolia. Yeah. Maybe not Magnolia specifically, but something in that sort of general, you know, ilk in that ballpark to like shake the cobwebs out almost and go there. I love that movie. That's my second favorite PTA. Right, movie, right, right. Magnolia. I love, 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 love that movie. The last movie I saw at The Egyptian before the pandemic started was Magnolia. And that was fucking incredible. I think it was on film as well, too. That's which awesome. was pretty fucking amazing. Amazing experience. And uh, and that movie's divisive, I think, between a lot of people. People sure. kind of love it or hate it, you know. <clears throat> I happen to love it. But then he gets those cobwebs out. He does Punch Drunk Glove, which is the exact opposite in terms of scale, you yeah. know, of Magnolia. Magnolia is three hours plus. Punch Drunk Glove is, you know, just scratching 90 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and then he, like you said, he recalibrates going forward. And so I can't imagine being in his shoes after making... Boogie Nights and being like, what the fuck am I supposed to do next? Yeah. I basically have to do this, you know? And I respect that at the end of the day. I respect him and I completely admire the film, but I respect him for being like, all right, hog deep. Let's go hog deep. You know, I think it's cool.
1: Yeah. There's something special about art that's made in the wake of uh, incredible loss and grief. I think, On Blank Check, they kind of talked about how like a lot of filmmakers who make movies after they lose a parent or something like that being maybe a little obtuse or awkward, but their passion is there. You know, they're kind of like trying to work through something or whatever, combined with the fact that he's just been crowned the Prince of Hollywood, essentially, (laughs) alongside Tarantino doing his, you know, growth and whatnot. And he's like, well, I have the keys to the kingdom and I'm fucking sad and I'm on coke all the time let's that's fucking ah oh, like gritting his teeth runs to william h macy's cabin writes 3 million pages of dialogue yeah, and then comes yep. back and he's like yeah he just goes crazy have you seen the documentary about the making of magnolia
0: i have i cannot remember the name of it at this particular moment do you know off the top of like, your head what it's like it's called like
1: some moments or something like that or like one or like one moment isn't
0: it, i think it's called that moment or something that moment when TV program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That moment when Jill is a hot mess. It's up to you to navigate the series of moments that either leave her somewhat dignified or even hot mess here. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing we're talking about. That's the fucking thing we're talking about. Yeah, that moment, the Magnolia Diary. Mm-hmm. Yes. I have seen that. I amazing. It's great.
1: Fucking it's funny. Incredible. It's 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 fascinating to watch. It's also fascinating to watch him realize sometimes that his uh his uh his hunger is bigger than his stomach can handle in that movie. And it's cool seeing him realize like, well, I fucked this day up. I I misscheduled this. Sorry, folks. That's on me. Like, like it's, uh, it's cool to see an act, a filmmaker kind of, uh, as earnest as he is. I mean, obviously he's like deeply emotional. And at this point he's probably like a, a, a tad bit egotistical because everyone's telling him his shit does not stink in the slightest. Uh, So it's just fascinating to kind of watch and see him in this hyperactive mode. And you can see with someone coming down from this, why someone would make something like Punch Drunk Love and kind of like, it's like the same person, but it is like a much more like is as if he went to therapy for like a little bit after making Magnolia.
0: Yeah. He fucking slept. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to
1: take a nap that I needed to take when I was making this movie.
0: Yeah. I stayed up for two years straight making Magnolia Now, I have to take a nap for a year and then wake up and work with Adam Sandler instead. Yeah. Which let's talk, let's talk about just that real quick. Sure. Yeah. It's 2002. Mm -hmm. How old are you in 2002?
1: I am in second grade. So I'm roughly
0: seven or eight years old. Okay. Nice. I'm five years old. Yeah. That's 2002. that, That makes sense. Yeah. That would make sense based on our, our how old you are and how old I am. But uh, um, it's, I'm five years old. I don't give a fuck about <laughs> movie. <laughs> movies at all. But I'm five years old. And our parents are however old they are. Who cares? <clears throat> doesn't matter. But you're into movies. And you find and you read that PTA's new movie is going to star Adam Sandler. Yeah. That... Is insane mm-hmm. in 2002. Yeah. That is unbelievable. He like, had, it, that is hard to wrap your head around. No, you know? no.
1: Because I don't even think Sandler did anything remotely soulful at, at that point. I would venture to say that his. I think uh,
0: Big Daddy is like maybe as close as we come. There's there's some soul. In
1: oh no, I, I I definitely agree with that, and I'd also go to bat for his performance in Shakes the Clown, where he plays a non. Oh. <laughs> this is this is pre Happy Madison, so it is just Adam Sandler doing what is a polite best friend role um but yeah like big daddy's probably the biggest he's gone and that was like a huge like it's his version of like a fucking jimmy stewart movie or whatever i guess sure mckay's sorry oh my god uh sandler's like a whole uh deal is that he is kind of the the everyman you know like he goes as far as to remake mr deeds so it's, he's literally yeah. living up to the like nah man like i'm crass but i'm also like lovable and everyone loves me and i care about exactly. everybody exactly you know, um, which is, you know, yeah, he kind of like slowly strays away from the madness of Billy Madison, uh, and then kind of becomes more of that like a folk hero kind of thing in a weird way.
0: That's interesting. But even still, even still,
1: nothing, nothing as dark and sad. And yeah. uh, touching as Punch Drunk Love had even been like a part of his career, so yeah, this is big. I'm sure at the time, if I was a critic or even just a regular film fan, I'd hear that and I'd probably think, "This guy's lost the plot. <laughs> this guy's yes, a little <laughs> this
0: this guy's insane. Yeah. This guy is so this guy's stupid mm-hmm. for, th- for even <laughs> attempting this." And oh how foolish everyone else who said that yeah. was, yeah, because. Even if you don't like Punch Drunk Love, no. you, I think, have to lie through your teeth to everyone around you and yourself to say that Adam Sandler is not impressive
1: in, in this that movie. movie. Totally. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he he won fucking, I think, the Best Director Award at can for Punch Drunk Love. Yes. And like yes. undeniably what he is able to pull out of that guy. Never mind that Adam Sandler actually ended up being talented and nobody knew about it. Like, yeah, Emilio a great actor. Exactly, but like even even now, like looking back on this movie, the kind of synthesis of tones and um, little filmmaking ticks that are almost invisible to the naked eye, that like all kind of add up in this movie. It is still so alien and mysterious to a yeah. to to a degree that like yeah, of course he like directed the living fuck out of the movie and they, and he found it. Cause I don't even think he really knew what he was getting into by the time he was on set. As far as I know, I've learned that like, they kind of had to do a couple of like, like reset what we're trying to do with this movie things as soon as they started filming. Like it took them a little bit to actually fit, like kind of find what this was going to be. Um, according to some in rhythm,
0: so to speak, maybe exactly.
1: Yeah. To find your footing and get your, uh, you know, your sea legs and your heart in the right place. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, it's a fucking testament to the fact that the guy's brain clearly is uh, <laughs> just wired for this kind of thing—and to mean, be to be expanding the way that we could even be imagining narrative film to be going uh, or being to, uh, to be, you know, told as it were.
0: Well, so so Sandler is like you know you hear that and you're like, there's no way. Yeah, and maybe you go to see the movie because you're just so curious sure. as opposed to like, what is Sandler gonna be doing with? This Oscar, you know, mm-hmm. this this beaut- this this precious gem of a filmmaker in in the filmmaking world. How far is you PTA know, maybe- willing to
1: debase himself to make an Adam Sandler movie? Also, It was like, on the flip side of that, it's like, well, how is it? How much is this yeah. going to not be like Magnolia or Boogie Nights?
0: Exactly. And then you watch it, and you're like, he fucking pulled it off. He fucking pulled it off. He off. An art house Adam Sandler movie, ultimately. Sandler didn't even think this was possible
1: either. Yeah. Like, like, literally, he kind of proved everybody wrong. It's so bizarre.
0: Were were you a Sandler head prior to watching this movie? Huge Sandler head? Oh, yeah. Let's go, baby.
1: Let's go. It's it's funny, because I didn't see Billy Madison until this year. (laughs) uh, Uh, That's a
0: fucking classic.
1: It's crazy. I know. But, yeah, I was, like, fully in on the happy Madison canon, even into, like, it's like darker moments where people like these movies are just trash, like strange wilderness and grandma's boy, grandma's boy has his fans, obviously, but it is just like, you know, like uh, I was, I was fully in when I was getting into comedy and comedy film. Um, and yeah, I love the guy's characters. He's so lovable, obviously. Uh, he's also so also rancid, you know, potentially. Um, and I think no one really realized that you could unlock the anger and the, uh, Id that was in all of his characters and to retool Absolutely. it in a different way, but it was there, you know, and it was uh, entertaining and thrilling to a certain degree. <laughs>
0: it's it's. I almost want to completely pivot what I was about to say because I think it's important. Because please. I'm gonna and I'm gonna fucking do it. Can do I do it. that, please? Thank yeah, you. yeah, please. Thank you for yeah, please, please, please. I'm a huge stand in their head as well. Right. Grew up. Happy Gilmore and Big Daddy were just always on totally. in my house growing up. Those two specifically. I like Billy Madison. It's fun. It's more fun in a group at this point in my life than mm-hmm. it is just throwing it on by myself. But Happy Gilmore and Big Daddy are all timers. I'm going to do, do
1: a quick aside. I mean, I don't want to delve into this too much deeper, but I think it speaks for itself. The Waterboy and Little Nicky were my picks that were on constantly. Which is fucking Let's go. Up. It's fucking crazy.
0: <laughs> Waterboy, Waterboy was sort of the number three sure, for us. Because yeah. that one wasn't on as much mm-hmm. because it's a little more, it's a little less family friendly. And I had a younger sister and everything. So that was sort totally. of had to be taken into consideration as well. But I love the Waterboy too.
1: Little Nicky maybe
0: not, is, maybe it is little the Nikki black
1: sheep. And also there's just a lot of weird things in it that I think resonated with me, like the heavy metal, <laughs> the use of pod, and uh, Quentin Tarantino's blind preacher character.
0: <laughs> the Quentin Tarantino let's call it what it is, a cameo. Yeah, it's a cameo. Totally. It's it's he's not a, he's not even a supporting actor in that movie. That cameo is fucking awesome.
1: It's great. He's I mean, he's in more of the movie than he probably should be, but every time he's like used for a punchline, it's hysterical that he's there again. And he's also he
0: fills the role
1: of an Adam Sandler movie is the guy who always gets the shit beaten out of him. Like, he gets trampled, he falls down the subway, he gets hit by a fire hydrant yes. thing or whatever. Like, yeah, it's a fun type of role to be in an Adam Sandler
0: movie. Is it Harvey Keitel who plays the dad in that?
1: Yes, and then the, his dad is Rodney Dangerfield.
0: Yes, that is so fucking good. That's great casting. That is so... How does you think that Harvey Keitel could do that? <laughs> and yet he's great. Yeah? He's so great in Little Nicky. I'm not a fan of Little Nicky on the whole, but there are some great elements to totally, it. Absolutely. Totally, absolutely. Um, but so then PTA is like, I love Sandler. Yeah, I need to work with Adam Sandler. He says, I think it's the quote of, you know, who are the two who are the two actors you most want to work with next after he does Magnolia? And he says Daniel Day Lewis. And Adam Sandler. Wow. And people are like, you're joking. And he's like, I'm not joking. (laughs) That's actually what I think. And people are like, yeah, whatever. And then the next movie is Punch Drunk Love with Adam Sandler. Then obviously he does There Will Be Blood After with Daniel Day.
1: He's like fucking Um, Michael Burry in the big short. He's like, I see something here that no one knows about.
0: Yes. It's going to happen. And then it kind of kicks off a trend in the 2000s of – comedians yes doing serious shit most notably probably is jim carrey in eternal sunshine of the spotless mind mm-hmm. will ferrell in stranger than fiction if you wanted to go there maybe with it oh you know what but though jim carrey does the majestic i was gonna the say the majestic, and i would
1: even go as far as to say the truman show has its moments but that's true. Truman,
0: that, Truman Show, yes. That's kind of yes.
1: always been part of Jim Carrey's DNA, and eh, not always because he always he did the fucking Liar, Liar, you know those movies and everything like that. But yeah, he also was on an upward trend of like I can do that as well, and he proved it handily in like Eternal Sunshine
0: and I. The Majestic. I think the well, I think comedic true. actors and comedians always have that in them. It's just people choosing to use it in a way that is effective. Absolutely, you know, that's more yeah. more the it's not even a problem. It's just a misconception. I think at the end of it, it's day, like, you a, know?
1: it's a really funny, like kind of unlockable chapter when you have a new comedic personality, at least when we were growing up with film, like movie stars and everything like that. Like the second that Seth Rogen got big, I was always, I, I was a huge Seth Rogen fan. I loved his movies. And I was like, I'm so excited to see him try the drama. Cause I feel like every comedian right. always tries the drama, you know? Um, and I ended up basing my entire personality around observing report
0: when I was <laughs> in sophomore in high school. So. <laughs> yeah, you really fucking nailed it on that one, baby. Yeah.
1: No, so I mean, hey, I, I'm doing what I do, I guess. But uh yeah, it is a it's a very fascinating thing about the the comedy star trying the the dark comedy slash drama, you know. And when it works, it really works. And um, but the they, but but it takes a, a specific synthesis and alchemy of breaking down what makes them funny in the first place and how that ties to what makes them dramatically interesting in the first place. And PTA and usually is, it ain't
0: it ain't too different. I would say no, no,
1: exactly. That's what PTA realized is that it's the same thing. You just have to like lens it differently and make it fee- and tap into. The fact that he's using anger as a expression of fear and sadness, which is what anger actually is for people, you know? It actually is.
0: Yeah. yeah and that it's a is, that's a secondary response,
1: I think is what the term is.
0: This movie, when I saw it for the first time, I think I was 16, I yeah, think. me too. Didn't quite hit for me mm-hmm. the first time. I liked it, but I didn't love it. Yeah. And maybe a trend with PTA just in general is – his movies get better on rewatch. Maybe that's his whole thing at this point. Yeah. You know? But I remember it's just, it nestled and laid eggs in my brain, Mm -hmm. basically. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, this is top 25 for me. Uh uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh, we need to eject her out of this ship right now and see the movie immediately again. And I remember, went to the used DVD record store, whatever, Got a shitty like two disc special edition used mm-hmm. copy or whatever that just has the, the silhouette, the, like sh- the silhouette, you know, side angle mm-hmm. profile uh, of him on the cover with the white background. That's got and some gorgeous
1: in. art in it. That's got like yeah, some it does amazing in like interior art to that release. Yeah, which is like when the the Criterion Collection art came out, it was like embarrassing. Like, like, what is like, what, what did you miss about this movie (laughs) that is the most colorful thing in the world? And it's you just took this one still from the movie. It's like, yikes!
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the cover of the uh, the Criterion cover for that one. So we need to actually get them on the phone. Okay. (laughs) So I'm actually introducing a new segment called "Call Up Criterion in New York (laughs) and Get Things Done, Get Things Changed." Um, but I remember watching it again for the second time, Mm -hmm. probably a year later, maybe and being like that what that what that is on screen that is the best most cathartic most loving depiction of anger sadness and loneliness i've ever seen in my entire life yeah and i couldn't believe it okay. i like was like oh my god that is so beautiful and so funny and so well made. And I didn't know how to articulate it. So I just had to keep watching the movie. yeah, and then you get older and you learn things about yourself and you learn things about relationships and you learn things about you know, just growing up and being a you know a person and it just doesn't get better than this, I think on a personal level, this movie is like a fucking North Star for. Yeah. Not just filmmaking. Forget that for just a minute. You know, just forget that for just a hot second. Just being a person. For having a soul, just in general. Having a soul and loving other people and feeling like crap and, you know, all those things. This is it. Yeah. This is special. I mean, this is like, you know, you try not to be precious about things in life, you know. know, but like holy crap this I'm precious about this totally know?
1: yeah I, I I have a a sensitive love for this movie because yeah, as you kind of discover it for the first time when I first watched it, I was totally like this is fucking nuts what is happening here <laughs> like he's like so 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 angry and it's not funny it is funny and then it's not funny. And then, Absolutely. then I remember the second that he punches the wall and the Shelley Duvall song kicks in. I remember just like feeling like I was being led into something I've never seen before. Just like, I've, I don't think, I mean, I grew up watching movies like the seventies Willy Wonka and the Chalk Factory. So I've had my fair share of understandings of catharsis and sadness and love in cinema, but to see someone like use every tool at their disposal um, to like reach through the screen and physically like, you know, in, in, infect your being, you know, and like to like shake you on a visceral level. This movie is very visceral. It is violent. It is. Um, yeah. cerebral. And yeah, I would just be like, you know, like I would just want to show my friends, like look at this part where he's screaming at his sister on the phone. Isn't that fucking crazy? Yeah. I just like watch it over and over again. I will watch other parts and I'm just like, wow, I cannot believe how this makes me feel. And you're right. Exactly. I mean, like, like you kind of don't know how to articulate it. I remember when like, you know I was on the internet in high school and there's a website called Screened that the Giant Bomb guys started that was like their version of a, a movie website. It died in 2012 pretty immediately. But I wrote a lot of reviews on there. Um, and I remember in, in the forums, I was like, I just watched this for the first time. What do you guys think the piano means? And also, uh, why is there, <laughs> there a car crash in the beginning of this movie? It's like, what, is, what does all this mean? But... I think, yeah, as soon as you kind of like are mystified by it once, you are sucked in and this movie becomes this never-ending hole of joy. It's like a constant wormhole of um, ways to express your self-hatred and your desire to be seen and your desire to, you know, care about another person. (laughs) And I I mean, yeah, it is, it's like, I don't think there's, there's so there's so there's not many movies that are as cosmically meaningful as this movie are. I don't think. And are successful at it, you know? And like, I think this movie even still like has things that need to be, you know, taken apart. Like we watched this last night and I was like looking for things I've never seen before. And I caught a couple of things, even if they're just tiny jokes, this movie's filled with amazing PD jokes that are not pointed out. They are just sitting there in the frame because he wanted, he loved, uh, fucking, Love Tati PTA tati- loves P- tati-, P- tati Wanted to make some Tati gags and whatnot And you'd see like Barry brings a tiny cake And then it's like Oh we, we, we have a cake actually You cut to the next shot And there's a massive cake On the right <laughs> side of the screen But it's also like There's people running around in the frame And so you're kind of like I don't know where I'm looking This is probably the most alt that he got You know um. After the kind of like intensity of shortcuts bleeding its way into Magnolia, like this is the most like it's chaos. People are just kind of talking over each other. There's like sound cues that are happening that are outside oh of the God. movie, like oh. that are like angelic kind of like they're they're literally Dude. alien transmissions and whatnot. Like the radio
0: static in this movie, yeah, is just and the, the, w- the in the first fucking scene when he's talking on the phone, yeah, there's just that little. yeah just
1: a little it's like the noise you hear when you like kick a pipe and you kind of hear the like the the the, uh the moisture inside of it kind of have an acoustic reverb or something like that and you just kind of but it's still alien it's like this is unmotivated i don't know what this is and he doesn't know either because you look at sandler's face and he's like a scared child (laughs) he doesn't know what's happening and so you're kind of put in his shoes of like i am now in a world where i am alienated by everything and everything is scary Because that's the way depression feels and the way loneliness feel.
0: And that is, and you know immediately who this guy is from the literal first second he's on screen because he's pushed to the back corner of the frame talking on the phone. And one of the first things he says is, I'm sorry. Yeah, so That's one of the first things he says is, I'm sorry to a guy who fucked up. It wasn't his fault. He says, I'm sorry to the guy on the other end of the phone. Totally. You hear the doink. You watch him <laughs> get up and just walk outside. There's this fucking piano <laughs> outside. Why is it there? I always get scared when the truck comes by because of how they manipulate the sound. Yeah, I always oh, get scared. Yeah. The guy, it's so scary.
1: Yeah, it's, it, they are... It's, it's a little mean, I would say, because it does kind of do a thing, like a sound mixing thing, which is that it sucks all the audio out before something explodes in the movie. Yes. And therefore making it that much louder and scarier. I'm pretty sure the sound designer of this film worked on Pixar movies. I think uh, Yes. Gary yes R- right. And yeah. I don't
0: know the name. Oh, Rydstrom. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, um, yes. worked so, on Pixar shit.
1: Exactly. And yeah, you can kind of feel the way that you would uh, recreate sounds of reality, but in a much grander, more like specific and like a like, uh, feeling kind of way. And the way that they do it here is to accentuate your fear. Like that you don't know what is what this character is capable of and you don't know what could happen to him. Um, yeah, it's amazing what they do with the sound in this movie. And that truck scene in particular, the car crash and the truck scene are like mean because <laughs> the movie actually tries to scare you and it does.
0: It does. And on the flip side of sound, we got, we cannot not talk about John Bryan's score in this movie, which to me, Sandler is amazing. PTA is amazing. Although this is not It's On The List, God help you if you think that this is It's On The List with Noah and Mason, that stupid fucking podcast. I would have to give the Mercedes Valuable Player Award to John Bryan for this movie. Yeah because i do, there are scenes in this movie i think about this this is how this is how fucked up things are sometimes i think about scenes in punch drunk love and i try to imagine what they were like before they put john bryan's score <laughs> in yeah. the movie and i think they suck <laughs> i i think that they are not that interesting i mean they don't suck they're amazing but like to the degree of which we know them as you know yeah. the score it is so specific it is so industrial but it is also so lush and so romantic. God, if you don't think this movie's romantic at its core, I wanna go I wanna go inside your brain and just put a little doo-doo in there because <laughs> that's just adding to the collection of what's already in there. But John Bryan's score and John Bryan himself, he might be the key to this movie. It for would
1: mean I I kind of agree. We are lucky as a species and as an audience members that PTA worked to get the score going as he was making the movie. He had the yes. score in his head and would tell John Bryan he would mouth the score <laughs> like a uh, like an orchestra, or like an orchestrator or drummer would do. And, P- and John Bryan would go make demos of it and it would fit exactly to his worldview. And the fact that, that PTO is able to get that vision out at all is amazing. But also obviously this is kind of the breakout of John Bryan, one of the best uh, musicians and composers of all time and he's still all time still so undersung still so severely undersung only had one personal pop album made the ladybird score it's wonderful uh he did but I so Huckabees and this. eternal sunshine yeah totally this is yeah this is um a primal a work arc. it is a primal primal work i got to see this movie with a live orchestra Uh, conducted by John Bryan and with Joanna Newsome sitting in for the Shelley Duvall uh, sequence in the movie. But yeah, uh, John Bryan, this is, I think, his like towering work of genius and as much his movie as it is Adam Sandler's or PTA's.
0: Where where was the John Bryan performance? Ace Hotel. Okay. I also saw it at the Ace Hotel. I don't remember Joanna Newsome being there what year did you see it do you remember that was 2015
1: i actually have the poster up here in my wall okay Uh, i went
0: 2016 because i remember it was my second semester of my freshman year of college and i mine's 2016 also actually huh we i think we we must have seen the same we must have been to the same one yeah it couldn't have been that different Yeah. yeah No, and I I don't remember Joanna Newsom being there, but I also was so overwhelmed by everything, to be honest with you, that I'm sure she was and maybe I just didn't even fucking realize it. Um, But John Bryan, man, the sounds that he is able to produce and the in the subjective intensity that Mm -hmm. you feel through Barry Egan, Adam Sandler's character in this movie's worldview purview. Is unlike anything else. And to me, he is the secret sauce of the film.
1: Yeah, because it's like, you know, any department head on a film is a collaborator. You know, PTA uses every piece, every tendril of filmmaking necessity to the surface of the story. And the music in particular, he's like, you know, uh, he's not hands off at all. This is another way in which he can direct this story. The music, because it's a movie about, like, maybe I see him, like, do interviews about this movie when it first came out. You're like, what's this movie about? He's like, it's about love, man. It's about music and love and falling in love and feeling good. And so the music and is, like, just as crucial a part of the journey. Um, like, it's how, it's how the movie's directed. He literally directs Absolutely. through the music i'm trying to think i saw a movie recently that also did that and i can't oh it's ravenous the guy pierce uh movie that i highly recommend if you haven't seen it but the director speaks through the music so gorgeously in like you know all of its tonal shifts and turns but punch drunk love is like the ultimate like you can use punch drunk love to te- uh, as an example in any film class really yep. i think it could be pretty much taught in any regard of any branch of filmmaking you're trying to teach But in score in particular, this is like, okay, what did we all catch with this one? And you can sit for like two hours with your students and they'd all be pointing out different things. You know, there's like, so, there's so much to pick apart there.
0: Speaking of pointing out different things. One thing that you had said a long time ago that I want to come back to that I 100% felt the same way about is the first time I watched this movie. I was like, this is not funny. This is not a comedy movie. This is like deeply uncomfortable and deeply like sad And then every other watch afterwards, I was like, oh, actually this is one of the funniest movies of all time. It's so
1: fucking funny. At first there are five jokes and it's Louise Guzman falling out of a chair. It's Adam Sandler (laughs) running into a glass door and other shit like that. uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman saying, shut the fuck up in a funny way. Three times. Those are all like, that's all five jokes in the movie. And then as you go and watch it more and more, you're like, this thing is laced with the tiniest, most weird sense of humor. There are little, little, little jokes everywhere. It is uh, it's it, it's a it's a blessing for return investment, you
0: know. Yes, one hundred percent. Do you have favorites that you just always, like? You're like rubbing your hands together, like ooh, here we go. Here we We're go. about to get to the yeah. part. Do
1: you have faves? It's it's, it's after uh, this is another joke uh, that's very blatant. Uh, Anderson, sorry, uh, Ad uh, Sandler, Barry uh, breaks the plunger. And it explodes. That's funny. Yes. He says that it, it's an unbreakable handle. It does, it explodes, and it's funny. In the background, when he's talking to his sister in his office and he like is playing with the piano again, you can see Louise Guzman with two plungers hitting them against the table, trying to make sure that they won't break.
0: <laughs> I've actually like- never noticed that before. That's actually I've never noticed that. I there gotta go. go back and watch it just for Catch me, it,
1: actually. Luis Guzman wearing a suit The next day because Barry was wearing a suit It was a cute <laughs> one, because he's so like I guess I should
0: wear one too, I don't know uh, He loves, he's like the only person In the movie who's like, Barry's cool so, Yeah, like He's
1: yeah, fucking weird, but nah,
0: Barry's alright dude Barry's. Cu- <laughs> yeah. I love that Barry eats lunch with just the fucking like foreman, like the construction yeah, dudes, and totally. just like sits on that shitty. Like we've all been on work sites where it's just like we have this shitty couch that we just keep here with like a table that looks like a giant spool of thread, you know, like a food somehow truck that
1: might explode is right next to you. Like it's yeah. just yeah, totally. That is the. That's a real sensation, uh, and it's, yeah, perfect. It's so funny. I'm trying to imagine. This is one thing that this makes me kind of imagine. It's just kind of humorous. It's like, what's Barry like when he's not wearing the suit? Like, what is this guy's <laughs> life like before he falls in love? Is he just like a dude who goes to work in big, shirt, big shirts? And like... <laughs> <laughs> or I don't know, like if it, if the suit is weird, then what's not weird?
0: <laughs> I don't know. And um, speaking yeah. of the suit being, I'm sorry. Did you have other little jokes? Because I was gonna, actually wanted to talk about someone who's also an unsung hero of this movie who doesn't get enough credit. But before we go to there, what else? What else? What do you all see? that gets funny in this movie?
1: Uh, let's see what else is funny in this movie. Um, I'll tell you what even... One of my. Can I tell yeah. you
0: one of mine? Please. All right. What I think is was the when I realized that the movie was a comedic work of genius, it's probably on my second or th- second watch. Mm-hmm. When he's talking to Robert Smigel, and he oh, says, yeah. "You know, I, w- I was hoping maybe you could help me get in touch uh, with with a with a doctor of some kind because you're a doctor, you know. Because sometimes I cry and I don't know why I don't like myself. Sometimes he's like listing all these just heart rending." just deeply vulnerable reasons why he thinks he needs help. And Robert Smigel just looks at him and goes, well, Barry, I'm a dentist. That's not really my thing. I love that. That is so cruel, but so just real. And people don't know how to react to like when you're being vulnerable. It sucks so bad. I
1: got to tell you, yeah, this movie plays really well with an audience. I think it gets better with time. I think over the years it's gotten better with audiences, but yeah the humor like i i'm always interested because i'm like what is going to play as funny to these people i don't know if they're fans sure. i don't know if know they're seeing it for the first time so i'm always curious on how it's going to play because this is also an amazing movie to show people for the first time especially if Absolutely. you know they're going to fall in love with it it is kind of like you know pushing someone down a water slide <laughs> and yeah waiting for them to come out and be like oh i want to do that again you know yes. um but yeah last night when we watched the movie that scene was happening it's great barry i'm a dentist it's hilarious it's sad Robert Smigel's giving it a lot of like, I don't know how to help you, but like, I'm sorry, you know, like he doesn't know. Right. As soon as Barry, he says, I, I cry for no reason. And then he starts crying. There's a woman in front of us who just went like, yeah, oh. like yes. her heart actually broke like the movie in 10. She was amazing. Yeah, she, she, was so good. she was. Yeah, she was the perfect audience member for this movie. And it's true. Like there are times in this movie where just like like these visceral emotional moments will happen. And what it elicits from you is you might as well start crying, you
0: know, yeah. like it
1: might as well break you down because you're just so devastated by the display of vulnerability and absolute emotional unawareness that this guy has. I realized my favorite joke that is barely a joke and it's in the same vein as a kind of plays like a joke. It's very light. Uh, when they're like, uh, how's business going Barry business
0: is very food.
1: Did you say food? Yep. Sorry. I meant good. I guess you're hungry, maybe. Yeah, that explains it.
0: Yeah, maybe um, you said food because you're hungry is su- such a stupid thing to it's say. But a it's like silly, I, silly thing. But I can't say anything else to this guy, so I'm like, maybe that's why you said it. It's like yeah. so, the the most forced small talk in the entire yeah. world. Yeah.
1: Also the fucking dads at that party are hilarious. These, like, 2002 ass golf-playing dads who are all hanging out, their shirts are tucked in, and they're eating cake and talking to each other. I just When they came on the screen... dude handshake. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, these like, yeah, these whatever, like, mid-30s white dudes. But the joke I love that's similar to that, but I think does not get a lot of recognition, is when he's calling the phone sex line, and he's like, I don't want them to know my name is Barry. Uh, I don't want them to know my name is Barry. She's like, what do you want to be called? He says, I want them to I want them to call me Jack. And the person's like, okay, fine. And then you have like the minute long silence before the phone is picked up again. And like, you're just kind of waiting. And that's a good dark humor moment in itself where you're yeah. just like, did this guy just completely get fucked over? And then the phone yeah. rings and you don't know what's going to happen when you're watching this for the first time. And he picks it up and says, hello, this is back, which is him <laughs> mixing up his fake name with his actual name. <laughs> nice. And the woman who knows it's him and she was just talking to him basically, but she's pretending to be someone else. She's like, I'm looking for Jack and he's like, yes, (laughs) like that's me. This is is Jack. Right. That's what I said. My name was. Yeah. But hello, this is back is just a stupid like script joke that, you know, for anyone watching like for the first time, or even just kind of unwittingly is like completely like rolls off your back. Nothing really happens, but for someone to fuck up their own code name is hilarious to me. Um, Rolls
0: off their back. You said rolls 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 off. off their back. Did you mean rolls off their Jack? Yes, I did. Sorry. Thank okay. you. That's okay. Uh, I just need to help me. you out sometimes. I need to help you yeah, <laughs> out. Yeah, it's true. I need to help you out. Um, um, help you out. Um, Giving kisses. <laughs> um What else? What else? What else? Someone who doesn't get a lot of credit, or at least in the public sphere when this movie's talked about, who last night I really appreciated was Mary Lynn Rice Cub. Yeah,
1: huge. Yeah. A hilarious unnerving performance but hilarious nevertheless and also she's, as, as fucking weird as her brother and i think that's absolutely like, yeah i think like, like she's, that's not she's she, understood anyway god
0: no she's like dementedly pointedly like cruel to him yeah for totally. so much of the film and then in one instance yeah. and she's not even on screen yeah you kind of love her again and mm-hmm. i think it's the last time in the movie you see her yeah. because she's talking to Lena, who played mm-hmm. by Emily Watson, who's also fantastic in this movie. You amazing. know,
1: just this, amazing cast. This character could be so fucked up in so many ways. And she plays it just right, I think.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but Marilyn Rice Cub uh, is, you know, talking to her. is like, hey, mm-hmm. actually, I need you to do this, this, that, and the other thing for the job. By the way, did my brother reach out to you? Okay. And she go. She goes. No, she didn't. Lying. You know, they're mm-hmm. fucking. They just fucked <laughs> the, <laughs> night, the, the night. before. They just. They just got their nut on. Uh. And she's like, Oh, he's so weird. I'm sorry. I don't know why he does stuff like that. And she's like, And Emily Watson's like, Yeah, he is weird. And then there's like a micro pause, and she goes, Well, she. Well, he's not that weird. I mean, he's my brother. He's like weird, but he's he's my brother. I'm allowed to think that. Only know? I, but I he's can not say that. that. Weird. Yeah. Only I can say that. I'm like, Oh, she actually does really care about him you know Mm -hmm. even though she can she doesn't show it in a kind way she shows it in a very pushy very like not i don't want to say not supportive but not like she's like really like pushing him in a way that i find very uncomfortable in this film you know but then in the end you actually have that realization where it's like oh wow no she actually does love barry she's doing all of this to try and help him, even though it's completely unfounded. She tried to make this relationship
1: work, you know, like she yes. was like fundamentally trying to make this happen. But it's just so used to fucking torturing this dude. And like, because she doesn't know what's wrong with him, you know, and like, obviously, <laughs> when you have that in people, sometimes I guess you can kind of other them. Uh, but it is such a funny and weird moment of emotional nuance all of a sudden, because the movie at that point is just like floating on a cloud of like, everything is okay everything is totally okay. Everything is like, we're all in love with each other and stuff like that. And yeah, that's a funny, weird little redemptive moment for her. And I totally agree that it's like so good and under underplayed and it kind of plays as like a weird joke, if anything, but it is like a touching little detail in the, in the movie.
0: It is a touching little detail. And I always, when I think of this movie, to be honest with you, mostly what I think about is the first 30 minutes and the mm-hmm. last twenty minutes, when I'm thinking about this movie, because the arc of this film—if you're maybe listening to this—you're like, "What? Are you, what the fuck are you guys talking <laughs> about? <laughs> what the hell? What the fucking hell?" <laughs> maybe if that's where you're at, uh-huh. Um it's a guy who can't stand up for himself, mm-hmm. learning to stand up for himself, and yeah. like take charge of his own life. You know, yeah. and that's beautiful, and it's so. It's just I don't want to say it's subtle because I don't think that's the right word, but it's so like seamless. You just mm-hmm. feel it more than you observe it, you know. And the scene where he goes to Provo, spoilers, mm-hmm. not really, but spoilers technically. He goes, he to, goes to Utah. To Provo, spoilers. He goes to Utah. That is a huge spoiler in this movie, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh when he goes to Provo to face off against Philip Seymour Hoffman, mm. who's also great. Yeah, the mattress know? man. The Mattress Man himself, Dean. Is it Dean Trumbull? Yes. Yeah, Dean Trumbull. And he just says what is maybe the greatest piece of dialogue ever written, which is, I have a love in my life it makes me stronger than anything you can imagine. I believe that's that, Mattress Man. Maybe the greatest, maybe the greatest line of all time. It honestly should
1: be in the canon of AMC hallways, where they have pictures of Steven Spielberg <laughs> directing The Color Purple and yeah. fucking Michael Chamino directing whatever the fuck he directed. You know, those weird murals and stuff like that. Or yeah. Like big yeah. lines of, of dialogue. That is, I think, yeah, completely canonized, should be completely canonized as one of the most sweetest and best cathartic character lines uh of all time i mean like i'm not afraid of it it's been a long time since i first fell in love with this movie the more i think about it the more i'm like this is probably the diamond of pta's career in the long run i think it has to be because isn't that
0: isn't it crazy how some people think otherwise some people i it's crazy to me
1: yeah, I know. it's, And, you know, I was I, I kind of used to it to a certain degree because a lot of the stuff I like is not liked by everybody. Uh, I don't try to use that as a point of pride to pretend that I'm, like, smarter than everyone. It is just that, like, I see, you know, like, whatever. I, <laughs> I'm a misunderstood individual as well. I think we all, all emo people feel that way anyway. But, yeah, it is so crazy in hindsight. The more that you, like, kind of, like, the more distance from... When you first fall in love with this movie and when it was first released and whatnot, you'll stare at the the whole picture, at least in our shoes, you know. And if this movie works for you at all, it's kind of like, how is this not everyone's favorite movie? I know. But obviously, it comes with like watching it 5,000 times because it's so fun and so emotionally stirring. But you're saying.
0: Well, I was going to say two things. One, Michael Cimino blowing $500 million directing Heaven's (laughs) Games with his pants down. Fucking the Evans Bond TV. company, the Bond company cattle prodding him with like a high red hot <laughs> poker, being like, Outcast, blacklist, go fuck yourself. Never again. You are worthless. Yeah. Rennie Harlan's going to come around in 15 years and do the exact same thing. It's going to be <laughs> awesome. Everyone's going to love it. Uh, oh, God. Shout out Rennie Harlan, actually, <laughs> to be honest with you. So shout out that guy. Hey, good for you, um, Yeah, thanks. But um, when, when, Sometimes I give movies five stars on Letterbox, and I'm like, okay, maybe this isn't like five stars in the way that it's like an all time fave, life changing. And I'm like trying to like reevaluate that, mm-hmm. like in my mind, like what really is the key yeah. difference between giving something a four and a half and a five, which doesn't actually fucking matter at all. I probably, know, <laughs> which it's you probably sucks. just shouldn't. Letterbox sucks movies so fucking much. It does. It actually ruined everything, um, of, yeah, in yeah. a way. But I think about like like the best movies. In my opinion, are movies that you watch and you have the thought, Why isn't every movie like this? You know? Yeah. And I feel that way when I watch Robert Altman's Nashville. Mm -hmm. I feel that way when I watch The Social Network. I feel that way when I watch Goodwill Hunting. You know, some of these movies. Just there's more out there, but just those are the ones that come up to the top of my head where I'm like, God damn. Just everything should feel like this of that ilk. Obviously. Punch Drunk Love is not the same movie as The Terminator, and The Terminator is not the same as, you know, Pride and Prejudice or whatever, you know. But of its ilk, of that type, when a movie is really working for you, you just want every movie to feel like that and to be like that. And that's how I feel when I watch Punch Drunk Love. I'm like, I want everything to feel like this. But that's what makes Punch Drunk Love so special is that nothing else is like it it kind
1: of it is like it's like doing heroin it literally ruins (laughs) other movies because it's like well how come they can't fucking make me feel the way that that movie makes me feel you know it's like why am i wasting my time obviously you know there's millions of other movies and other feelings to have when watching a movie but in like an almost classical sense this movie is the empathy machine that roger ebert talks about you know he doesn't cite this movie as literally the empathy machine but i think it kind of to me plays like that you know yeah i think there's we watch this at the frida and there's this like cheesy little reel that plays like movies are a way for us to connect (laughs) and learn from other people's experiences and stories and it wasn't so fucking cheesy and maudlin and so like you know like pre-movie bumper or whatever I dare agree. You know, I think movies yeah. do have, have a power to help us view things differently and to see different perspectives. Not all of them are made like that or for that purpose, but the power is there. I mean, it's all propaganda in the first place, you know, and there's like there's responsible propaganda that is like emotionally, uh, you know, empathetic and massive and human. You know, that's why I love like Andrew Burjowski movies and stuff like that. Like it's I love when movies are able to make you feel alive and like uh, you're not alone. And this movie is the like benchmark for that. It is the ultimate cathartic experience as far as like American movies at least go. You know, I once heard a critic say this is the most French American movie I've ever seen, (laughs) which I think is kind of a funny way of describing it. Um, uh, just a, I don't just like in that.
0: just in <laughs> just in pure art
1: sensibilities, it is very dismissive, and it's kind of a backhanded compliment. And I don't really fully agree with it. But um, anyway, that was just a, 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 a teeny little aside. This movie is, uh, is is important to me. Yeah,
0: hugely important to me as well. Uh, watching it last night, I was like, "Man, I wonder if at this is probably like my seventh or eighth watch of it." That and I, I mean, we we did say this. Mm-hmm. We watched this movie together in a theater. And it just doesn't get better, like straight up. It just doesn't get better. Unless we
1: were like watching like a fucking 35 millimeter print or something. Like, yeah, I think that would be, I mean, I don't know. I'm not even like, I can split hairs about that kind of stuff. I'm not like that precious or whatever. But yeah, being in a dark room, the environment of a theater that we've missed so much during the pandemic and to be watching this movie, you know, it's like. Yeah, I don't know. You almost like want to light some candles or something like really get into it. It's movie's like a fucking
0: bubble bath, man. And the crowd was small, but it was a good crowd. Oh yeah. It was like it was- like, at, like at like, you know, maybe there were 10, 12 people in the audience in total and I'm like, "Oh, obviously this is like You need the fucking call and response of the jokes, you know, to like really make this thing hit home. But, like you were saying earlier, that woman who was sitting in front of us was the perfect person to be in the theater. The dude who was like just to the right of me was like very quietly like the perfect guy. Like, it was a great audience for even as small as it was, which made the experience 10 times better. And I just remember sitting there before the movie started being like, is this really gonna be as good this time? Like, is it really going to be as good? Yeah. Because the only movie I think I've seen as ferociously, <laughs> made, well, that's not, that's not true. There, I've seen like Mrs. Doubtfire and like, you know, some of the, and Liar Liar, like millions of times, you know, sure. like just so many times TV cuts, you know, on road trips or whatever with my sister, you know, whatever. But like movies that are very sp- special and precious to me, there's not a lot that I've seen as many times as this one. I haven't really taken it for a spin as much. And, I, you know, there was one in particular is actually the film Birdman. uh, Maybe you've heard of it from 2014 Mm -hmm. that some people really love. I remember really loving it, but it's been six years since I've seen that movie, you know, straight up. Oh, yeah. But when that movie came out, that was my golden goose. Mm -hmm. And I saw it three times in the theater and then bought the DVD the day it came out and watched it three or four more times from then to the last time I watched it, which was in 2016. And I don't know if it really held up that sixth time. You know what I mean? I don't know sure. if it really did, but I still have fondness for that movie in my heart. And it's actually a movie I would like to rewatch here pretty quick. So I was really worried. Is it going to feel that special again? Maybe my favorite watch of the movie that i had, <laughs> to be totally honest with you. Yeah. I was like, yes, bro. Everything worked. Everything hit. Everything, Everything hit. hit. Yeah. We were lucky so to have a really, good.
1: really good audience. That is, that is so true. And yeah, it's also like, you know, I think Birdman is kind of cursed by proxy of it having the gimmick of the one take. I like yeah. Birdman. I will say that um but then it kind of calls attention to itself forcing you to kind of be like how does this thing fall apart the scenes you know right that's kind of like an unfortunate thing about doing a one-take film uh, other than the actual merit of it stylistically whether it's fun or emotional but this movie yeah each time you watch it like <laughs> it just kind of unfolds and you just see how many fucking layers there are to it uh and i'm glad that it still plays for you because yeah like still still does for me. It's still just like, I I almost like watching it to show like, like to see people reacting to it. like i i almost like watching it as a fucking service (laughs) you know like if i like like uh like fucking dream if i was like 70 years old and i was running a tiny little movie theater like i always wanted to do and i got to to host a screening of this movie to people who've never seen it or whatever and to just get them let them experience whatever i got out of it and many many people get out of it then it's like that is the purpose of movies, and maybe the purpose of my brain in a weird way. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I could talk for hours about this movie. I, I, I sincerely could do that.
0: I sincerely could as well. However, then there's things we didn't talk about that yeah. we absolutely could have. Sure. Real quick. Yeah. I do want to. I want I want to end the show. <laughs> I the show. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? Shut the fuck up! Shut the fuck up! Um, costumes yeah. are so good in this movie.
1: Mm-hmm. The fact
0: that Barry is always wearing the blue suit, yeah, is so fucking good. That's mm-hmm. pretty much the main thing that hasn't been talked about that I wanted to bring up. But as well, when we talked about the sound mm-hmm. element of it, that alien feeling as well. I think in Lee Unkrich's Criterion Closet, he, he like talks about... He
1: loves Punch Drunk Love. Yeah.
0: Yes. So does. does.
1: It's funny because, yeah, I think um, you see a lot more of this movie in movies nowadays, you know? Um, fucking Birdman, um, Thoroughbreds. Uh, the, the DNA of this movie is in so many more modern films. And it's certain brand of dark comedy and its willingness to be emotionally devastating is yeah. so much more present nowadays. But um, we we're talking about the costumes. What were we just talking the about?
0: Co- I mean, the co- The costumes, the fact that Barry's always wearing that blue suit and then basically the red tie, you know, like, yeah, moving forward is so fucking good. Yeah. And then the only other thing I want to say is I, you know, and this, and this is not the point of the film. It's a great L.A. film. Especially the valley, especially one, the one, southern valley.
1: One Sergio Zachu says in his review Sergio, and that's a put this guy on blast, whatever. <laughs> I love Sergio, he's great. He didn't like this movie for a while and then only yeah, had a, rec- the a recent rediscovery, realizing the correct take that it's good. <laughs> um, but he, but the one thing he like hinges on in his review of that, which I highly recommend because I think Sergio's a great writer, is that this is a perfect valley movie. It's like a great, like you get a sense of the business parks, the strip malls, the open roads, like the roads are so massive. There's so many lanes and it's quiet at night and it's lonely and you can see all the stars mostly. I mean, you know, unless light pollution gets in the way or whatever. It's an amazing depiction of the valley. I completely agree with that. And I miss the valley every day.
0: I miss the valley. Miss Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. I miss this version of PTA, although it is amazing to get to watch a modern-day master continue to evolve. You know, like, so that nice. is something that you can't, you know, you can't replace that. That's a, you know, that's an un, that's a priceless experience. Yeah. And much like our friend, our other friend Anderson, Wes Anderson. Sure. I wish Wes would go back to doing Royal Bombs and before. I kind of wish PTA would go back to doing there will be blood in before, but you get to watch a master at work, continue to evolve. It's priceless. He's my favorite filmmaker. Yeah, it's my favorite movie of his. It's my favorite movie, and that's how I wanted to end. No November 2021, talking about it with you, my friend Rocky, who I know also adores this film. So I want to thank you for your time today. I want to thank you for your love of this. You're you're talking about it in a beautiful way. Thank you for being here again. Now you get to do the plugs. (laughs) What do you want to plug? What do you want people to know? Where can they find you? Uh, You can
1: find me. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, We should start a podcast where we just talk about punch, drunk, love every
0: episode. Um, That might ha- that might have to happen unfortunately we might have
1: to do a season of that at least i'll do 10 episodes with you on that and we don't have a Thanks. plan for each episode it's just like what do we not talk about yet in the last, <laughs> yeah, in
0: the last exactly episode. we just watch it every week and then yeah. we're like all right what'd you notice this time but yes maybe, that, wow. maybe that's in development
1: we can call it the best idea ever because isn't the worst idea ever the grown-ups podcast where they watch it over and over again Is, for like a year. I don't
0: I've never heard of that. That's crazy. Oh,
1: that'd be your favorite thing. Yeah. It's a podcast where these, I think they're Australian comedians, watch grownups over and over again for a year and then do episodes about it. I think it's called The Worst Idea of All Time. Yeah.
0: The Worst uh, Idea of All Time. Yeah. Hosted yeah. by New Zealand comedians Tim Bat and Guy Montgomery.
1: There you go. So we can do the best idea of all time and watch Punch Drunk okay. over and over and over again. Um Swag. plugs. Um it's on hiatus right now, but check out Everything Now Show on Twitch, um, and on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and all that kind of stuff. We're coming back soon. Our studio burned down recently. It was pretty weird. <laughs> but it's an yep. interactive live stream comedy show that I'm very proud of and make with my my amazing friends uh who have been on this show and other, Noah's other show and whatnot. So check out everything now show. Um, you can find me on Letterboxd, uh, R-O-N-C-K-Y, um, am am on Twitter, (laughs) Rocky Powerito, uh, yeah, I just didn't give a shit about it, uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's not good behavior, but I don't care about (laughs) it,
1: um, you can email me if you want to. I don't know what's Jesus happening. Christ. Yeah, I'm on Instagram as the Lawn Wrangler, uh Bottle Rocket reference. I wish he'd make another movie like Bottle Rocket in my in, in my personal humble opinion. Okay. But uh that's, okay. that's that's just me. Uh and yeah, um just look on those social media places uh for whatever I'm doing in the future. I'm trying to make a lot of movies next year, so look out for those. Is that it? Fuck, I don't know. Uh, I'm on Spotify. Um, yep,
0: that's it. That sounds like it's it on to Slack. me. That
1: sounds like it's it. Uh, you I can shut the shut up. Shut Letterboxd. the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Okay.
0: Yep, shut the fuck up. Uh, filmmakers: Lee Unkrich, Judd Apatow, Kleber Mendonka, I don't know how you and say that.
1: Taika Waititi. I was gonna bring that up. I, don't, I forget why I said like this movie is in every movie nowadays. But yeah, Judd Apatow loves this movie. Taika Waititi loves this movie. Everyone. Miranda
0: July. Miranda July. Bung Bung July. Ho, Of course he
1: does. Of course he does.
0: (laughs) Barry Um, Jenkins, of course, very vocal about his love for this film, Uh, as well as, according to the Wikipedia article at least, Bill Nye, the actor, cool Owen Wilson, and one Timothy Chalamet are vocal advocates of this film. Maybe maybe that boy ain't too bad after all. If I see
1: your scrawny ass at an A24 party in the future, we're going to talk punch drunk love. Um, I'm going to you talked your
0: fucking ass off you know
1: you know how i think a pta only got daniel day lewis because daniel day lewis reached out saying he loved punch drunk love so that's That's fucking crazy that's a big connective point also (laughs) there you go all right
0: now i'm gonna do my plug so please shut the fuck up for real this time um you can follow this podcast on social media on instagram at myfavepod. Excuse me, that's Twitter. Twitter at my pod. Oh no, E! Come on now. Uh, and that's embarrassing. <laughs> that's embarrassing. That, dad, there's embarrassing for Damn, that fucker.
1: Damn son, why'd you do that?
0: You winning son? No dad, I fucked up my plugs again. <laughs> you fucking stupid piece of shit. Uh, and you can follow us on Instagram at my favorite underscore podcast. Uh, like I said, we're gonna be on the hiatus, so. <laughs> Not all gonna be a ton going on over there, but still give us a follow anyway. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. You shouldn't, but you can. You can listen you to should. my other podcast. You really should. Okay, maybe you should. Uh, you can listen to my other podcast. It's on the list with Noah and Mason. We talk about underrated albums and movies this week. You know him and you love him. Director of manther director of Falling Apart, <laughs> Ben Massey on the pod, talking about Ten Thousand Days by Tool. And 1998 sci-fi gem Dark City is Oof. what we got on the docket this week. That is We're a, going dark mode.
1: That's a leather-clad episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, we are going BDSM on <laughs> you're this right. one, baby. Thick
1: sunglasses and you're going underground.
0: We're going underground. We're smoking reefer and vapes. We're smoking the edibles. It'll be good. I've been thinking about it um, so
1: recently. That's so funny. Hell yeah.
0: So good for Ben Massey. We haven't recorded that episode yet, but that's what that's what's on the docket there. Shouts out. And uh, like Rocky said, everything now is on hiatus, but I have been, for me, fortunately promoted to supporting cast member of that, so I'll be on that show as well. And unfortunately for everyone involved with everything now and everyone who watches everything now, I've been supported, uh, promoted to supporting cast member, so sorry about that. We've
1: made a big mistake. But we apologize.
0: You guys made a big mistake. I am stupid, but I am a part <laughs> of that show now, whether the people who like it or don't like it or not, who cares? But... You can also watch me on there when that comes back as well. A couple times a month. There you go. Kind of cool. That's it. Thank you, guys. Bye. Oh, shit. (laughs) That's so so sudden. That's it. (laughs) Now the music plays.